praise this morning. Praising the Lord. It looks good. You sounded good. Uh, I said, I ordinarily can't hear up here. I uh, ordinarily can't hear anywhere, but I ordinarily can't hear you sing. Y'all were, uh, all three songs this morning, y'all were singing out. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. May I preach half as good as you sing this morning. Philippians chapter 1, looking at the last few verses here uh, in, uh, in uh, Paul's uh, little letter to the, book of, to, the, to the church at Philippi. Um, and I want to speak to you this morning on, uh, on this topic, the desirable disciple. Uh, we uh, hopefully uh, are followers of Jesus Christ and disciples, uh, but uh, what are some characteristics uh, of a disciple uh, that, uh, that elevate them uh, above uh, the rest? What, what makes us uh, a, uh, just a, uh, a superstar? I think all of us are aware, um, you know, um, I, I can't remember... Uh, what the movie was one time, but there was a sports movie, and I remember they kind of had one, one real star on the team, and the coach had the whole team all over uh, on, the high, on the sidelines at the end of the game and said, now we're a team, we all got to do this together, we've got to pull together, and you know, he gave them that rah-rah speech, and they started to run off back to the field, and he stopped the one guy that was the superstar and said, hey. They all stink. You've got to do this yourself. We've got to win. If we don't win, you've got to do this. I think we're all aware that uh, in most uh, sporting uh, events and teams, usually there's, uh, you know, there's uh, some, uh, you know, uh, your job is to throw the ball to the guy who can score. Uh, you know, there's some of those uh, on, uh, on every team. And, uh, you know, but what elevates us as uh, disciples uh, of God? Uh, and, you know, again, we're talking about happiness and joy. Um, there is nothing that brings joy uh, into the life uh, of a believer, I don't think, uh, more uh, than being uh, fulfilled, uh, finding your purpose, your place, uh, living out uh, the plan that God has for your life. Uh, being that man or that woman uh, that God wants you to be uh, and being a, a fruit-bearing uh, Christian. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and bearing fruit. Uh, there's nothing that brings joy uh, and peace to, to being that person. If you read what, uh, if you think back over what Paul said just in this uh, opening chapter, uh, of this letter. Uh, again, he's in prison. Uh, you cannot forget that. You've got to keep that in mind. Paul was in prison when he was writing these words. And, and in several different places, in several different ways, Paul has expressed joy uh, because even though he was in prison, he wasn't where he wanted to be. He felt like he was where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. Uh, and that brought great joy uh, to his life. Uh, and so uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are, uh, and I've talked about this before, when it comes to the will of God, uh, there is the general will of God. Uh, 
Uh, and just to refresh your memory, uh, the general will of God. That is the will of God uh, that applies to every one uh, of his followers. And that is, uh, for example, we'll just talk about some of the basics, uh, to not lie, to not steal. Uh, those are general uh, statements, to pray, uh, you know, th- those things. Uh, those, are, those apply to all uh, of the followers of Jesus. Jesus Christ. They are the general will of God. Uh, But then there is the specific will of God, uh, and that is God's specific plan for your life. Uh, For example, some he calls to the mission field, to go to uh, other countries, to other places, and share the gospel. To some, uh, he is called to sing or to preach. That is the specific will of God uh, for your life. What I want to talk to you this morning about is falls under the general will uh, of God. This is the plan, I believe, uh, that God has for every uh, believer. It is the design, it is the desire uh, for everyone. Uh, And so this morning there is no one uh, in the sound of my voice uh, who can say, that sounds good, I hope. Archie is paying attention. Uh, yeah, doesn't work that way this morning. This is the general uh, will of God. I want to talk to you uh, about three things that uh, Paul writes about here uh, that uh, fall into that category of general will of God. This is his plan for uh, making us, uh, this is his desire for us uh, as disciples. And so uh, as we gather here uh, around this text, look with me in uh, verse 27. Uh, He says, only let your conversation or your conduct or your manner of life. And so uh, let me stop right there. Uh, Most of us today uh, have a certain understanding of the word conversation. Uh, Many of you had conversation uh, before we began the worship service. That's not what he means here. He's not talking about let your speech, uh, let your conversation with others. Uh, A better understanding would be your conduct uh, or your manner of life. Now, your speech would be part of it, uh, but uh, I think we all know uh, that uh, you, you know, talking and walking are two different things. And so he's not talking about talking here. He's talking about walking. Let your conduct, your conversation, your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that uh, Paul talks about here uh, that is, again, part of the general will uh, of God for every disciple, every follower. He talks about our conduct, how we conduct ourselves, our manner of life, uh, our conversation, uh, to use, again, the King James uh, word here. Uh, But he's saying to us, uh, and notice what he says, He says that our conduct, our manner of life, should be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, to to use maybe a little bit of a a poor uh, illustration, but uh, when I think of that, uh, when I think of 
And some of you are old enough to remember this, uh, or you've at least seen those uh, on different TV shows or something. Those old scales uh, where they would put something on one side and something else on the other to see you know, which way it went. Well, what, what Paul, to me, the, the image I have of Paul, Paul says, I'm going to put the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ on this side of the scale, and I'm going to put your conduct on this side of the scale, and we're going to measure them. And your conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are we living a life that is worthy of the death, burial, and resurrection of uh, of Jesus Christ. Is our conduct uh, worthy uh, of Him and all that He is uh, doing uh, and all that He says? Again, uh, he's, uh, it's important to understand uh, if you're looking at the King James and it says your conversation. He's not just talking about uh, or writing about here your talk. Uh, he's not just saying do you talk about godly things and then go out and live like an animal. Uh, he's saying that, uh, that our everyday life, that everything uh, about us, our conduct, uh, should be uh, 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 our conduct, our, our way of living. I want you to understand something this morning. The, the, the greatest thing we can do, the greatest weapon we have is not another sermon. I, I know that cuts my own throat. The greatest weapon, the greatest tool we have is not another Sunday school lesson or a great uh, oratory or a great speech. The greatest tool the church of Jesus Christ has is when we walk out those two doors and we go back into our homes and we go back into our neighborhoods and we go back to our families and we go back to our communities and we conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel. That's the greatest tool we have. Because the truth is, one, one action, and we've all seen this, one Christian who doesn't walk worthy of the gospel can undermine a hundred well-prepared, well-delivered sermons. Our conduct is... So important uh, that Paul writes about it. He says, think, think about that. that. That's a pretty high measuring stick when he says it is to be done worthy of the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses, the word that he uses there when he says conversation, conduct, it's, it's a little bit, uh, the original word uh, is a political word. Uh, it's a, a word, and, and what it means is behave the way citizens ought to behave. So what is Paul talking about? This would have been especially uh, relevant for the Philippians. See, the Philippians were living in Philippi, but technically they were citizens of Rome. And so... They understood this idea of living here and being citizens of another country. If you are a child of God, Paul is saying, live 
like you are a citizen of heaven. Live like you are a citizen of heaven. Can I, let, let me just put a thought at you for a moment, and I can't answer it because I didn't follow you all last week. But let's just say in the last seven days, the last 168 hours, since last Sunday, have our actions, our attitudes, our words been the same attitudes or actions or words we would have used had we been in heaven? Would you have said the same thing to the cashier on the corner of hallelujah and glory that you said to the cashier at the grocery store this week? Would you have made the same hand gesture to the guy on the golden streets as you did to the guy on the interstate this week? Oh, I know I'm meddling. I done quit preaching. I know. But that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven. Are our actions and our attitudes more like the citizens of this world or more like the citizens of heaven? And I'll tell you, listen, I've been studying this passage for a while. Keep reading. It don't get no easier. Yeah. That, that, that's, some, that's, a, that, that's a brutal uh, look in the mirror. Yeah. That, that's a brutal self-examination to say, am I acting, am I conducting myself like a citizen of heaven even though I'm here on earth? Some of you remember uh, Martin Fortain. Probably 20 years ago since Martin was here. And from South Africa. And... Martin was here, and there were a couple of things about his visit. Uh, many of you know that for many years, South Africa was extremely segregated. Um, and Martin had really, that, that had just become, apartheid had just taken place, and so the, uh, the whites, uh, you know, they were beginning to mingle uh, with other, and so Martin was, I remember a couple, two, two things. Even though Martin had been here a couple of weeks, we were going to go up to the cove, Billy Graham's place up in Montreat. And Martin's first thought, words to me was, do I need to take my papers? See, back home, as a black man, he couldn't travel without his papers. Because he may not be home when the sun went down, and if he wasn't home when the sun went down, he had to go check in to the local jail and spend a night in jail. But perhaps the biggest issue was, according to him, we drive on the wrong side of the road. According to me, he drove on the wrong side of the road. And I can't tell you how many times we pulled up to an intersection and I'm looking the way I need to be looking because that's the way traffic's coming from. But because he's used to driving on the other side of the road 
He's looking the other way, and I start to go, and he about had a heart attack. See, even though he was here, he was living like a citizen of South Africa. What Paul says is even though we're here, conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven. Conduct yourself like one of God's children. Any of you ever, I remember hearing James Merritt, Dr. James Merritt, talking about his children when they were small. He said every morning when they went out the door to go to school, he told them one thing. He said, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Conduct yourself, Paul says, worthy of the gospel. Uh, that we're citizens of heaven. Even though we're here, we behave uh, like that. And again, the Philippians would have really uh, wrapped their mind around that. And so however you need to think about that, am I conducting myself worthy of the gospel? Am I conducting myself like a citizen of heaven? Or am I acting like everybody else here? Listen, I don't know if you've watched the news around here lately, but I don't much want to act like a citizen of this place. Don't get me wrong, I'm tickled to be an American. Anybody who isn't, Delta is ready when you are. But even though I'm here, I need to be conducting myself like a citizen of heaven. It's a question we need to ask ourselves uh, who we are uh, every day. We need to ask ourselves that question all along the way every day. Am I conducting myself like a citizen of heaven? When we go to the store, when we're dealing with co-workers, am I conducting myself like a citizen of heaven? Listen, the Philippians were to live out. They were to act like what they were. They were no, they had been, what does the Bible say? They had been bought with a price. Live like you are different. Live like you're blood-bought. You're a blood-bought citizen of God. And so they were to conduct themselves in that manner. The second thing that, that I noticed uh, again about this is that not only were they to conduct themselves uh, in, in that way, but their cooperation. Look how what he says as he goes on. Not only that they are to live, live their life in a manner uh, that is worthy of the gospel. And then notice what Paul says. Before we kind of move on, we're going to put this right in the middle. Paul says that, so whether I am present or absent, Paul says whether I'm there or not, conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven. Whether I'm there or not, be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if, if we were to say that today, we'd probably say something like this. Whether you're at church or not, you're a citizen of heaven. And so the first thing that we have is his conduct. The second thing that makes us a desirable uh, disciple is cooperation. Paul says, I want to hear of you standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, I want to hear of you. Listen, there's three things. In those three little verses, Paul gives three things. He says, I want to hear of you standing, or excuse me, four actually, standing firm, one spirit, one mind, side by side. Paul says, I want to hear of you cooperating together. I want to hear of the disciples of Jesus Christ working together for the gospel. See what it says? He says, I want to see you striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, the truth is, in most churches, if you want to have um, a potluck supper, you can get them to come together and cooperate and work side by side, bring food, and eat. And that's great. It's a beautiful thing to see. The psalmist says it's, it's, it's beautiful to see God's people dwelling together in unity. But Paul adds the additional little clause of that we are striving together one by one, as one mind, one spirit, side by side, for the gospel. We have one North Star. One thing out in front of us. Rommel. Some of you, if you remember World War II history, the Desert Fox, I believe was his nickname, led the Germans um, in uh, their great tank uh, battle and maneuvers in North Africa. (coughs) And... For the life of me, it's really sad that I remember the German general and not the American general. Uh, I want to say Montgomery. But when they went against them, they had a problem. They would send the American tanks out, and they would say, we want you to go over there and attack. The problem was, I've never been to the desert. I've seen pictures. I've seen movies. It pretty much all your neighborhood looks like my neighborhood. And so when they would send them out, and the tank drivers were looking through their little holes to see where they were going, they, they couldn't see the long goal. And so they would send somebody out in advance who would put a red flag in the ground, and they could see that red flag, and they would all go to that red flag. And then they'd go a little further and put another flag, and they'd all go to that. They, they all had one ambition. Let's get all our tanks to that flag. Then let's get all our tanks to the next flag, and to the next flag, till we finally get to where we're going. Paul planted our red flag for us. He says, the one thing that should bring us together above everything else is the gospel. The gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That should unify us and bring us together that we move forward for the gospel, he says. That we remain united. Paul says, whether I'm there or not, I want you to stay true to the gospel. Paul says, I might very well be executed. If I am, so be it. You keep preaching the gospel. See, here's... How that impacts the church uh, in, in America today. 
We may not all sing the same songs. We may not all use the same Bible. We may not all write the same songs, same Bible translation. We may meet in all kinds of places, all kinds of times. But remember what Paul said earlier? Paul said, as long as they're preaching the gospel, I don't care what they think of me. We are to be unified in proclaiming the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, whether I'm able to get back or not, you stand firm in unity on this one thing. I've told you before. Matter of fact, I've already had a little internet conversation with one of my friends this morning uh, about uh, eschatology. And he and I have some different, uh, different ideas about the schedule, the event, the, the timeline of end-time events. And long story short, uh, he put something about somebody else who agreed the way, agreed with him, and I just commented, I said, well, we can't all be right. You know, <laughs> we can't all be right. You know, somebody's got to be wrong. I guess it can be y'all. And he, you know, put up a smiley face. And we have several other different ideas. And we've sat down and we've talked about them. And we, you know, we've hashed out. And, you know, I hope I've influenced him a little bit. He's, he's caused me to think about some things. But here's the truth. When it's all said and done, we may disagree on a lot of this stuff down here. But when it comes down to it, here's what we do believe in. That without Jesus Christ and the shed blood, if you don't accept Him, and if you don't know Him as your personal Savior, you will die and spend an eternity separated from God. I've told you before about my friend who, who we have a different opinion about when the rapture is going to take place. Now, I just tell him, I say, okay, I'll see you when you get there. I'm going to be there seven years ahead of you. Now, but here's what we both believe. Whenever we go, the only way we're going is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The church is spending a whole lot of her time arguing over timelines and red horses and yellow horses when the fact is a whole lot of people ain't going to heaven any time. While we argue about a bowl and a scroll. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those things are not important not to study them. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying if you study all those things, if you can explain every vision in Revelation, if you can explain Ezekiel and Daniel right down to the nitty-gritty letter, you, man, you got them 70 weeks of Daniel, and you got, you know, you figure all that out, and you don't know Jesus, you don't know nothing. Paul says we stand firm on that truth. Listen, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying those are not important issues. I'm saying they are not the most important Paul didn't say, I want you to all stand firm on being able to explain the book of Revelation. Paul says, I want you to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, if you get that right, the rest of that stuff will start falling in line. The gospel. He says, I want you to stand fast, to be in one spirit, one mind. One spirit, what he means by that is that everybody needs to be born again, uh, saved, filled with the Spirit of, of God. He says you should be, uh, you should all be saved. You should be renewed. 
from uh, you should be saved uh, by the grace of God. One night that we all, again, uh, have that same purpose, that we're, we've got our goal set at that same flag out there, and we're all moving in the same direction. Listen, the, we live, in my opinion, the most divided, most ununified, split up, fractured, fractioned time in the history of man. And the United States of America might very well be the leader even at that in the world. But the church should be unified. Now, again, that doesn't mean we agree on everything. There's some gospel music that it'd be all right with me if it was never played again. And you probably feel the same way about some of it. There's some people who sing who I wish they'd find a new career, quite frankly. You may love them. Unity does not mean we agree on everything. It means we agree on the most important thing. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. He says that we strive together. Strive together. That strive together is an athletic word. It's a team. I used the idea of a team concept a while ago. It's the team coming together to work together to impact our world, to impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see men and women, boys and girls, coming to know Jesus and coming uh, to accept Him and to be, uh, become saved. Paul says that's what's most important. That's what's most important. First, that disciple, his conduct, Second, his cooperation. Third, and this is what kind of brings them all together and makes them all happen, and that's his courage. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to live out the first two, you better get you some backbone. You, 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 better, you better get you some courage. Because in the world we live in, <laughs> If you're going to conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven, if we're going to cooperate together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says then, you need to have, uh, I believe in him, uh, but uh, he says, not frightened in anything. Not afraid uh, of anything, he says in verse 28. He says that uh, you're not frightened by anything, uh, not frightened by your opponents. And then he says it's a clear sign to them. One of the most intriguing statements, I think, in the, in the letter. He says it's a sign to them of their destruction. He says not frightened of anything. He says, and that's a sign to them of their destruction. What's he saying? He's saying that it is... How do I put this clearly? He says... How we act here is a clear sign of which side we're on. 
He says, those that are persecuting you, it's a clear sign then that you are a child of God and they are destined for destruction. So be encouraged by the fact that when you're persecuted. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? Yeah. But Paul says, be encouraged by that thought. It's a clear sign. He says, for it's been granted to you, look what he says, for the sake of Christ. He says, it brings honor to Jesus when you, again, you conduct yourself like a citizen of heaven in the face of persecution. It brings honor to Jesus and brings shame on the persecutor, is what he said. He says, you are engaged, and look what he says, suffering for his sake, engaged in the same conflict, the same trouble, the same problem that I've had. Paul says, you're not in this alone. How is it that we have courage? Because we remember that we're not a citizen of this world. We're, to, we're just passing through. How do we have courage? We remember we're a, not a citizen of this world. We remember that we're in unity, that we're not in this alone. Paul says, you're not going through anything new. You're, you're going through what Jesus Christ went through. You're going through what I'm going through. And it's just a sign to the world that you are genuinely, genuinely uh, a child of God. You are a genuine believer. Listen, the Philippians, their um, relationship with Christ was a uh, went against everything the good Roman believed in. Went against all that they taught. See, you were not, as a Roman citizen, you were required to say, Caesar is Lord. Now here's the way they enforced that. Generally speaking, the Romans didn't just go out, stop on the street and say, who's Lord? Who's Lord? They pretty much didn't enforce that rule. But here's how that rule did get enforced. When you had a big mouth neighbor. If you had a neighbor or a co-worker who went to the government and they would say, Tommy Anderson is worshiping, the, worshiping that Jesus fellow that they're talking about. Then they would bring Tommy in before the government, and they would give him three chances. You'd be given three opportunities to say, Caesar is Lord. You didn't do it the first, they say, now you got one, you got another chance. We're going to let you have one more time. If you'll say Caesar is Lord, we'll let you live. Nope. Jesus Christ is Lord. One more try. Strike three and you're out. And if on the third try, 
you said, nope, Jesus, you wouldn't say Caesar is Lord, then that's where you start reading about people being thrown to the lines, burned at the stake, those kind of things. You had three tries to say Caesar is Lord. And so for the Philippians, for the Philippian Christians, excuse me, for the Philippian Christians, this flew in the face of everything Roman. Caesar is Lord. Better come off your lips. If anything other than Caesar is Lord came off of your lips three times, you're going to the lion's den, you're going to the stadium, you're going to be covered in tar and used as a, as a nightlight in, in Caesar's garden, you know, something. You're going to be put in a big metal pan and have a fire built under you. You're going to be put in a metal chair and have a fire built under you. Something. Whatever. The, the, the Romans were quite creative in their methodology. And so this was a real threat. And Paul says, don't be scared. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. You stand up for the truth. No matter what. Their opposition to you is their own condemnation. Here's what Paul was saying. Now some 2,000 years later, those Caesars, those political leaders, those governors, those guards, those soldiers who gathered up Christians and take, took them into the stadium for not saying Caesar is Lord, those very actions, those very decisions, today, some 2,000 years later, they're separated from God in hell regretting those decisions. Paul says their very actions are their destruction. But their very actions say that you are a child of God. He said, count it as a privilege to be tortured, to be tormented, to be ridiculed for His sake, is what he says. Count it as an honor to be ridiculed. He says, because you're suffering for Christ, you're suffering with Christ, and you're suffering like Christ. Count it as, a, as an honor. You're in the same battle that Paul was in. You're in the same, facing the same difficulty that Paul went up against. He says, don't be frightened. Stand firm in unity. Listen, a disciple of Jesus Christ can be defined in a lot of ways, I guess. But these three things are the general will of God for every follower of His. That we conduct ourselves like we're citizens of another country. 
We don't act like this world. But we're citizens of heaven just passing through. You know, when we were in China, it was pretty obvious I wasn't Chinese. In so many ways, I could have never blended in. I don't blend in real well much anywhere, but I certainly could not blend in in China. As a general rule, when we got together in a group, my head stuck up above theirs. I just couldn't blend in. I mean, I've been standing on the street with thousands of people. I mean, they, listen, there, there, there are times, you, you, man, you can end up in the wrong town in China. You, all, you get in one of them big packs of people moving in one direction, you just have to go with them. You know, I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> just go there till you finally kind of get broke from the car. Turn around and go back. I couldn't blend in in China. I didn't look like them. I didn't talk like them. One of the strangest experiences I had in the whole time we were there, I come out of a store. I, I went into a little uh, little store to get some Diet Cokes. And I come out, and there was three Chinese girls got around me, and they said, Whew! You're a big man! <laughs> Compared to them, I was a monster. I could have never blended in in China. I don't want to blend in in this world. I don't want to blend in in this world. Do you? I want to look different. I want to dress different. I want to talk different. I want to walk different. I want my manner of life to be like a citizen of heaven who's just passing through this foul place. I want to be known as one who works in unity with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ for the good of the kingdom of God. Lord, don't let me be a hindrance or a stumbling block to the kingdom. I want to work in unity. And one that's more important now and it's going to be more important tomorrow and it'll be a little more important next week is God, don't ever let me be frightened. Give me courage to stand up. Stand up for Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And this passage brings us to two questions. One is, are you that type of disciple? You'd say this morning, I know I'm a child of God. I know that if I was to leave this world today, that I would spend eternity in heaven. There is no doubt. No question whatsoever in my mind. But can I ask you, does Paul's description suit you? Is there one of those three that you need this morning? More than the others. Let's, let's, let's work on them one at a time. 
Is there one of those three statements this morning? Your conduct, your cooperation, or your courage? Is there one of those you need God to help you with today and to strengthen you in that area? So you can be a better disciple, a better follower? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to walk through and examine your life? Is the song that Tommy sings ever so often? Would you let him go in every room of your life? Would you open up every door, every closet, and say, Lord, look around. Is there any area in my life where I'm failing as a disciple? But the million-dollar question this morning is this. Are you a disciple? If you're joining us here online or you're here in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, you may be a teenager, you may be 80 years old, you may be a deacon in this church, you may have been in this church your whole life. But if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you're lost. And you'll be separated from God for eternity. But today is the day of salvation. Would you come and let me show you from God's Word how you can be saved. Would you send me an email if you're online, call me, reach out to me in some way, and I'd be glad to sit down and talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. We thank you for Paul and God, what he wrote and how he wrote. God, I pray this morning that you will help us to be disciples. But not just disciples, but desirable disciples. That our conduct would be worthy of the gospel. That we would cooperate, stand firm, one side by side with other believers, and have courage in this evil world. God, for the one that doesn't know Jesus, God, I pray that you'll stir their heart, God, that you'll speak to them. God, we'll give you the glory and the honor for what you do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together.